It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you'll be swept off to. That's what Gandalf the Grey told Frodo Baggins at the beginning of their adventure. Have you ever felt like life is like that road? Like you've been swept away, you don't know where you're going, you don't know where to put your feet to hold on? Well, that's what we're here for today. We're here to talk about the Wildwood, where all the crazy things happen, where all the wild stuff happens, and you just don't know which direction to go. Today, I'm going to bring you some words from the Wildwood that'll help you keep your feet. Alright everybody, welcome back to our podcast today. Another exciting journey into the Word of God. Hopefully you had a great week, a chance to put into effect some of the things we talked about in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Perhaps shaping your mental attitude, or perhaps how you saw the world, or how you interacted with your fellow human beings. Well, you know what? I was thinking this week. People go through most every day without thinking about the season of life they are passing through. When you turn from 60 to 61, as I'm about to in a couple weeks, you start going, wow, 60 years down, 60 to go, what am I going to do with the next half of my life? And you start thinking, how did I get here? You know, the 20s pass into the 30s and on to the 40s in the blink of an eye. You start out, you're an 18-year-old getting out of high school. Suddenly, you're 61 and working at a university. And you wonder, how did I get here? You can go back through the years. You can count all the events. You can look at the places you've been and seen and done, but it seems to have happened in an instant. For those of you who are younger, a baby is born. Then one day that baby goes off to school. Soon it graduates from high school, then college, and then they move out and they're on to their own life. And you start to wonder, how did I get here? How did I not see everything was, that was passing? Well, stop a minute. Stop just a minute. Where are you right now, this moment, this day, this hour, in the passage of time? 20s? 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, more. Where are you at? To quote the song by Chicago, does anybody really know what time it is? Does anybody really know what's happening in their life? We are so busy living day to day, paying the bills, keeping things done, that we just don't stop to realize where we are in life. In 1965, the Birds had a huge hit with the song Turn, Turn, Turn. Of course, this song came from Pete Seeger back in 1961, but it really wasn't a smash hit till you linked it together with the incredible musicianship of the Birds, and it became a hit. Now, while that song was a protest song against war and hatred, it was directly taken by Pete Seeger from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In fact, ever since it was released and recorded by the birds, there's been a huge spotlight on Ecclesiastes chapter 3. That's where we are tonight. Now, if you listen to what Solomon is saying, up to this point, it's been bitterness, a moment of bright clarity, and then back into bitterness again. But if you listen to what Solomon is saying, there is a valuable lesson here in chapter 3. If you want to get the point of chapter 3, you have to answer these three questions for yourself. 
Nobody else can answer them, only you. The first question is this. What season of life are you living in right now? What season of life are you living in right now? 20s, 30s, 40s? Children being born, children going to school, children going away, empty nest syndrome? Let's see what Solomon has to say to us tonight, today, or whenever it happens to be wherever you are. Ecclesiastes 3.1 There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather those stones together, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. You can see why in 1965, with everything that was happening, both in this country and in other countries around the world, the song like this would have really hit home to that generation. They would have looked around and not understood what was happening around them. And this song was saying, hey, no matter what you see, no matter how bad it is, there is still time to heal the wounds of this country in this world. I'm not sure that's what Solomon was trying to say, but that is what the birds took from it. If you want to put this more in a perspective that we as New Testament Christians can understand, look at Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 28. The book of Acts 17, 26 through 28. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. That, of course, was Adam. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. This is what Paul was saying to those Greeks gathered together. And, and when he was speaking to them at Mars Hill, he was trying to show them who this God was. He had said, I see you are a religious people. You have temples to everybody. You even have a temple to an unknown God. Well, guess what? Let me tell you who the unknown God is. That is what Paul did. People say, oh, well, there was not a mass revival. Oh, there was not a mass turning to Christ. So it must have been a failure for Paul. No. Remember, we said this before. Paul said, I plant Apollos waters. But who? The Holy Spirit gives new birth. Only God can call people to salvation. And he did there at Mars Hill. He did call some to salvation. And those would remain behind and continue the work long after Paul had gone. So you see, here it is. 
God has determined allotted periods of time, boundaries of people. And so there is a season for everything. There's a season to be active in ministry. There's a season to step back and to rest. There's a natural flow to the way that the world works. And you know what? God knows the flow of all things. Consider this, the flood of Noah. It was foretold and Noah and his family labored. And it was fulfilled when the rain fell and the tectonic plates were ruptured and the fountains of the deep exploded up. Then it was prophesied that Israel would go into captivity for 400 years in Egypt. And guess what? There was a famine and they fled there to Joseph and they sheltered in Egypt and the Egyptians became jealous and fearful and they spent 400 years in a kind of captivity. And just as God had promised, he brought them out and sent them home after the 10 plagues devastated all of Egypt. Then later, Israel turned her back again on God. And he said, you will wait 70 years in the captivity of the Babylonians. They are going to take you. Don't fight this. I have given you to them. Go spend your 70 years. And at the end of that time, I will bring you back. What happened? They went. They stayed for 70 years. And then Cyrus the Medo-Persian came, receiving the word of God, and let them go back to Jerusalem. Finally, the destruction of the temple, Jesus said, Man, you think this thing is so cool, so hot. I tell you that one day, not one of these massive stones will be left on another. There will be no record of these marvelous achievements of men. And they thought he was crazy. And in 70 AD, General Titus, later the Emperor Titus, destroyed the temple and Jerusalem and ended Israel's existence for nearly 2,000 years, and then by the stroke of a pen, she was reborn into the modern world to fulfill her place in history. God has all of this worked out, these periods of time, and Solomon should have known, yes, there is a time for every activity under heaven, and God is the God of that activity. So that's the first question you have to ask. What time period of your life are you in? I feel like I've slipped into a kind of a kind of retirement stage of my life. Here at almost 61, I still have the opportunity to preach and proclaim and to explain God's word, but not like I did when I was a much younger man. So I consider God to be great and faithful in allowing me to continue on, continue bringing this message to you until the day that God takes us all home. But there's a second question here. Another question, when you are going through your life, do you see eternity in day-to-day -day life? Do you see eternity in day-to-day -day life? Ecclesiastes 3.9, what does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given people to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in his time. I want you to look at that word appropriate. If you have an older translation of the Bible, he says he has made everything beautiful in its time or everything perfect in its time. Meaning when God is going to do something, God does it. And, and, and we read about Jesus in the fullness of time, Christ came. 
fullness of time. We think that he should do it right now at this second and not wait. But only God knows the fullness of time, the appropriate time, the beautiful time, that perfect moment. You might be waiting for something to happen in your life. I know some people right now who are sort of waiting on pins and needles for certain things to come about in their life. And I can only tell them, hey, God will bring it when he brings it. He will bring it to you at the right time when you are ready for it, when your life is ready for it, and it will come about and you will have that blessing from the Lord. Because he goes on right here in Ecclesiastes and says, he has also put eternity in their hearts, but man cannot discover the work of God that God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God Whoever, whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his effort, I know that all God does will last forever. Write that down, church. I know that all God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking away from it. If you are among those people who believe in works by salva salvation by works, you need to pay attention to this. God has already done the work. God has already accomplished the salvation. You need only give yourself to him and allow him to sweep you into that stream of his motion. So I know that all that God does will last forever. Our salvation is assured. There is no adding to it or taking away from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever is, has already been, and whatever will be, already is. God repeats what he has passed. Think about this. God is the same yesterday, today, forever. How were men saved in the Old Testament? By faith in God. How did Jesus come to us and ask us to receive salvation? By faith in God. God has never changed how he operates. It's always been by faith. In the Old Testament, faith moved men to do certain things to honor God. The same thing happens today. Whether you are baptized because you realize that it is a great public testimony for who God is, that, that is all there is to it. You don't, you're not baptized to be saved. You're baptized because you are saved. You don't do good works in order to get salvation. You do good works because you are saved. It's a natural outworking of that consequence. If you are a married person like I am, you do not do good things for your significant other because you're trying to win them. You do it because they are already in your life and you want to bless them because they bless you. And that is just the way things are. Now go on, think, and th think about this. Isaiah 46, 8 through 10. He says this, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Israel had some issues. Remember the former things of old, all those things in the Old Testament. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. That's it. God is going to do what God is going to do. You cannot change it. You cannot alter it. You can simply thank God that you have a chance to be part of what he is already doing.
That's the amazing thing. That's how our God works. He gives prophecy and then he fulfills it. He says, I'm going to do this in 400 years and he does it. I'm going to do this in 70 years and he does it. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, this day I say to you, you are going to be with me in paradise. Do we have to wonder what happened to the thief? No, because Jesus said, this is how it is. Therefore, we trust. We look at we look at everything God does. There's no taking away from it. Because why? Because God is God. Psalm 8, 3 through 4. When I look at the when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? God's love is poured out in the promises he makes, the promises he keeps, poured out in the amazing creation he has laid out for us in the heavens. Lately, people have been staring into the stars. This James Webb Space Telescope is showing us things we never even dreamed about, never thought was possible. We've seen so much, and everything we see just echoes the praises of God. Because everything that we see out there right now is blowing the minds of scientists. It's not what they thought was going to be out there. They thought they had everything figured out, and the Space Telescope It's messing it all up. Why? Because you can't outdo God. God's glory is evident in the heavens. If you look, you're going to see it. That's why in the book of Romans it says uh, that men want to hide themselves from the truth. But if they look, they will see that there is a God. They will see and know who he is. Revelation 22, uh, 18 through 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecies of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. When he says, I know that all God does will last forever, that's what Solomon said, there is no adding to it or taking away from it. You see, the promise that seals revelation also sealed the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy ended the, the, the law. It ended the five books of the law, and it was ended with the promise and the threat. Don't change this. Don't take away. Put the whole thing out there, and you'll be fine. The book of Revelation, same way. Here's what's going to happen at the end. It's ugly. It's terrifying. It's scary. Preach the whole thing. Put it out there. Let everyone know what's coming. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Otherwise, you will reap the consequences of that. So, you know, if you if you see, are you living in the light of eternity? Do you see more than just your day-to-day job? Maybe your day-to-day job is a grind. Uh, maybe it's like mine where you get up, you go in there early in the morning, you clean up everybody else's mess, you go in there, and you, you, you physically work all day long to get everything done. At the end of the day, you go sit down, fall asleep for half an hour until your wife gets off work, and then you go home. And that that may seem like a grind, but during that, are you aware that the God of eternity is looking at you? He is with you. He is speaking to you. He is loving you, and he is loving people through you. The greatest privilege in the world is to be a conveyor of God's love and his message of hope to the human race. That's just amazing. So if you want to learn from these lessons from Ecclesiastes 3, 
You got to you got to do it. You got to see eternity in every day that you live. The very last question is a simple one. Have you ever considered the end of the story? Not just the end of the story of Ecclesiastes, but the end of your story, the end of the story of the human race. We we know that when we went through Revelation, we saw the end, we saw the destruction of the earth, the rolling up like a scroll, the the burning to a cinder of all creation, and we saw the rebirth of everything that comes after, a new heavens and a new earth. We don't know what it's going to look like, but when we get there, we'll find out. Because we know this, when we get there, that is where God the Father is, that is where Jesus is, that's where the Holy Spirit is. And wherever the Trinity is, is where I as a believer want to be. Can I get an amen? Ecclesiastes three sixteen. I also observed under the sun, there is wickedness at the place of judgment, and there is wickedness at the place of righteousness. So there's evil everywhere, he says. Now look at verse 17. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, since there is a time for every activity and every work, including judgment. I said to myself, this, happy, this happens concerning people so that God may test them and may see for themselves that they are like animals. So people can see that they are sinners, that they need a God who will save them, that they need a God who can bring forgiveness. You see, Solomon could see everything he had done wrong, every way he had, he had messed up. So we know that God's going to judge us, and that judge, that impending judgment it just makes us see it more clearly. This happens concerning people so that God may test them and they may see for themselves that they are like animals, meaning they respond to their baser instincts. Verse 19, for the fate of people and the fate of animals is the same. Okay, that's very simplistic. All biological mechanisms fail. All biological entities die, but there's a big difference between human beings made in the image of God, and a simple animal, which is a creature of instinct, still created by our Father, but on a different level. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And it's in one sense, yes, we all do breathe. Uh, we all do uh, draw that first breath at birth, and we all exhale that last breath at death. But there is a difference in the fate of people. And, and Solomon is so bitter, he's losing track of that. People have no advantage over animals since everything is futile. Okay, we're back in the futile thing again. All are going to the same place, all come from dust, and all return to dust. Who knows if the spirit of people rises upward and the spirit of animals goes downward to the earth. I have seen that there is nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. You see, now Solomon is stuck. He thinks it's all about what happens in this life. He's lost the faith in the world that God created afterwards, in the place that God created. Every, every Jew knew, especially the king, about Abraham's bosom, that place of rest, that place of peace. He has now become so bitter and so cynical, he doubts it. And that's what's causing that angst in his heart angst in his soul. So he says, God's going to judge us, but who knows where we're all going to go? Who knows what's going to happen? See, that's what happens to you when you wander away from God. You lose perspective on everything. 
He said, I have seen that there is nothing better for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? Well, I'll tell you who. The Lord our God tells us what happens. It tells us that our spirit returns to God. It's earth to earth, ashes to ashes, spirit back to the God who gave it. It's incredible. Romans 1, 19 through 20. Oh, that Solomon could have read this. For what can be known about God is plain to them, meaning all people, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Human beings cannot get before Almighty God on the day of judgment and go, gee, I didn't know you were there. The story is told, and I, I have no first-hand account of this, so I'm only going to go on what I have heard. It had, the story is told that Helen Keller, who was uh, uh, deaf and blind and mute, that when she was signed for the first time in her hand, the, the, the word God, she said, oh, I, I, I know him. I've always known him. I just didn't know what to call him. Now, that's an amazing statement. If God can so reveal himself that a person without sight, without hearing, without a voice, who basically lived in a void, knew that there was a God out there, that there was something to, to cling to, to reach out to, then God truly has put his invisible nature in us so that we perceive him. Now, what we do with that, how we choose to react to that, that's different. Many people know there is a God and they resent it. They hate it. Many people say, oh, I am an atheist. Uh, the word atheist means literally there is no God. But I don't think most people in academia, in the academic world today, are actually atheists. I believe they are anti-theists. And the anti-theist is one who hates or rebels against the nature of God, the idea of God, the sovereignty of God. It's that they actually hate the idea that God is there, that God is holy, that God is all-powerful, and they want to be God, but they can't be. It's the same affliction of mind that destroyed Lucifer when he was the cherub that covereth, when he had that place in heaven, yet he strove to be equal to God, and he could not be. For all of his beauty and talent and abilities, he was nothing but a created being. And that's what's happening in the world. We are created beings who desire to be our own creators. And that's why he says, and so men are without excuse. There's no excuse for not knowing there's a God. So you can know it, but what do you do with it? That's the question. Consider Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books, plural, were opened. Then another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in these books. So whatever you did, good or bad, that was taken into account. But then the final book was read. The final book said, these are those who are the, who are the believers in Christ, those who have um, come to Jesus for salvation. So the, so the dead were judged by what was written in these books according to what they had done. And it says, and the sea gave up the dead 
who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. But you see, if your name's not in the book of life, then all you have is your deeds, and your deeds are pitifully, um, woefully inadequate when it comes to appeasing God's holiness and righteousness and justice. Sinning in one account is as bad as sinning in all of them. So you see, there's no way that we could be good enough for God. If people by their own effort could be good enough for God to accept, Jesus would not have had to go to the cross. That's right, back to Revelation. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And that is the final death. Then everything is sealed up and there will be no return from that place. There will be no no way for us to reach them or them to reach us. And it's it's a terrifying finality in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, fortunately, the book of Revelation ends on an up note. We end on a vision of what is to come and what our lives will be in Christ because he died to make it possible. Those who go to hell, those who are sealed away in this eternal place of, of punishment, go because they refuse to avail themselves of what God has done for them. So you see, the question is, have you ever considered the end of your story? What is going to happen when you get to the end? Everybody thinks they're going to live to be 90 or 100. That doesn't happen. People die every day. Small children killed by stray gunfire, car accidents, attacked by wild animals. People die at the, at the strangest moments, and they would none of them ever believe that today was the day for them to give an account for how they lived their life. Oh, I'm only 18. Oh, I'm only 19. Well, as soon as you know what sin is, you're accountable. You can be judged. Remember, in, in the Hebrew culture, at 13, you had a bar mitzvah, a son of the covenant, bat mitzvah, daughter of the covenant. You were an adult and you were expected to obey the law. And capital punishments could be imposed on anyone who had passed through that ritual because they did not prolong childhood into their 30s. When somebody was aware and able to take account for what they did, then they were, they were given that right to join the community. So I ask you, are you ready for the end of the story? See, Solomon became bitter. He has this wonderful explanation of how this is time, this is the season. And then he says, God's going to be the judge. And that should be a good thing for all of us who are faithful to God. But then he launches into the other oh, people and know better than animals. We all go back to dust. Do any of us really know if we're going to heaven? Yes, yes, we know. Maybe Solomon didn't, but today you can know that you are going to go to heaven because that's why Jesus died on that cross. He died there so that by believing in him, by putting your total faith and confidence in him, you could be saved. You can have that assurance of salvation that when Revelation 20 comes and the earth is scrolled away, we have an eternal home with our Father in heaven. All right, we have finished up for today in our book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to keep plugging on as we go through a few more chapters. But I want you to take this time this week and think about it. Think about the questions that we've asked. 
You know, do you know what season you are living in? Do you know what season of life you're in? You have to ask yourself, I'm 61 almost, so I know where my season is. I'm winding down. I finished the first 30 to get out of school, the second 30 to work, and now I got 30 more years to keep preaching Jesus until he comes back. May he come back uh, sometime today. That would be good. So what time, what time of your life is it? What season is it? Do you see eternity in everyday living? Do you live every day because you can see eternity? You can see the future. You know what's going to happen. You know that you've been given today for a reason, a wonderful reason. And you can rejoice in that and praise God for that. And have you considered the end of the story? Have you considered how you want to wind up this beautiful life that God's given you? It may take you 30, 40, 50, 60 more years but you can get to work on it right now. Amen. All right. It's been a great time to be with you. Have a blessed week. Find someone to share Jesus with this week. And I will see you next week with more words from the Wildwood. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today to listening to our programs. We appreciate your attention. We present this for you as a way of building up God's people, giving you hope in these dark days. They are presented to you commercial-free. We don't solicit money from any companies, Bible organizations, or churches. We put it out there because we believe wholeheartedly that the Word of God is the only hope this country or any country could have. Because we present it to you commercial free, we do ask you to search your heart. If you feel the need to support us in any way, it, it, could, be a, it could be a love offering, a gift, send me enough for a cup of coffee. I'd really appreciate it. You can send all support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, Richard Stidham at Box 1321. Baytown, Texas, 77521, and everything you send to us will be used to keep this podcast on the air. Have a great day. God bless, and remember, keep looking up. Our salvation is drawing near.